0: lions fans it's time for the podcast you've been waiting for the show where kool-aid runs blue faces turn red and rose-colored glasses never go out of style this is the detroit lions podcast welcome to the daily dlp i'm your host ash thompson and today i'm going to do a little bit different style of game preview than i usually do Like and subscribe, join the Patreon, shave your junk, buy some coffee, you need a new router, donate to St. Jude, and if I missed any of the advertisers this podcast has ever had, they have my apologies. Shall we move on? Alright, I went over the specifics of the Bears offense and defense a couple weeks ago, nothing has really changed all that much. If that's what you came here for, well, click on the video's channel and go watch those but the bears have been bucking their defensive tendencies trends a little bit um but not in ways that are universal really like they're game planning for their actual opponents now what a novel concept planning for your weekly opponent crazy seems like it should be automatic at the NFL level it's really not <laughs> uh-huh. What the Bears did to mess with the Lions' offense specifically, though, in their last meeting was to not drop the linebackers nearly as deeply as they had previously been, about a five-yard difference, and that disrupted the crossing routes and just kind of wreaked havoc on the timing of the Lions' offense in general. They also did a great job of disguising their blitzes in ways that they had not previously been disguising their blitzes. The Lions will have watched tape of that game since then and I trust Ben Johnson to have come up with a plan to deal with the new Bears' defense the way that they were dealing with the Lions. This is the give and take of teams in your own division, uh, and why it's so hard to win all of your division games. Like They showed you theirs, you showed them yours, and from that point, it's about which team adjusts better for the second game. The Bears are 4-4 four and four. since their disastrous start that saw their defensive coordinator leave in the middle of the season that is weird and doesn't usually happen ah uh, and the circumstances around it are mysterious and odd but the bears i was laughing at in week three are not the bears that the lions were facing a few short weeks ago and they are definitely not the bears that the lions are facing now this is an absolute key game for the bears who are one and three in the division if that's 1-5 at the end of the season, Matt Eberflus is going to get fired. If that's 3-3 three and three at the end of the season, there is no way he is getting fired. The Bears have the Lions, Browns, Cardinals, Falcons, <laughs> and Packers left on their schedule. They've got a reasonable shot at a 2-3 or possibly even 3-2 record on the way out here. If they beat the Lions, that 3-2 becomes a lot more achievable. said since the beginning of the year that Matt Eberflus needed to get to six wins this season uh, to basically keep his job safe. At least it should be safe if he wins six games. Like going from the first overall pick in the league to a six-win season is progress. They just desperately need a different offensive coordinator, preferably one who actually wants to coach up a quarterback, whoever that may be. It appears the Bears may have the first overall pick again because they traded away the first overall pick last year. The Carolina Panthers' rebuild has not gone as planned, and the Bears have their pick. The Bears have the opportunity to drastically change their team going forward. And Chicagoans seem to be 100% sure that the Bears are going to move on from Justin Fields. But should they? If I were ownership, I'm not sure I would want to both retain this coaching staff and also let this regime take a quarterback. Fields has played 8 games this year. He has 12 touchdown passes and 6 interceptions. That's a two-to-one ratio. That is good. He has 1,500 yards in those eight games. That is a pace that is approximately 3,400 yards, 3,200 yards, somewhere in that range. And he also has 400 rushing yards added to that. His yards per attempt is 7.1. Over seven is good. His adjusted air yards per attempt, which used to be like two yards under his yards per attempt, are now 7.0 just barely underneath and if you'll recall from my how do i judge a quarterback season that's one of the huge metrics is you're adjusted higher than your regular yards per attempt and this is to being done with one wide receiver and a tight end in the passing game and then a bunch of other schmucks who probably shouldn't be playing that's with no running backs whose name you know unless you've been searching the fantasy waiver wire and due to some injuries this season. What if you added to that team, say, Marvin Harrison Jr. and another starting offensive tackle, and then signed two or three defensive free agents to go on with Sweat, who you just picked up at the trade deadline? Like, Fields is better than Danny Dimes in New York, and frankly, that's not even close. There is no reason to not think that he is. And he has five games remaining on this season to play this future into existence. A big game against the Lions on Sunday would go to a long way towards that end. And remember, he did very well the last time the Lions and Bears played. He was he was the reason the Bears almost won. Like Everyone has a Bears friend who's 100% sure that the Bears are going to move on from Justin Fields. But let's be real. They don't know anything. They don't know squat about what the Bears are going to do. Think about how much you know about what the Lions are going to do. If you're being honest, it's nothing. I don't know what the Lions are going to do, and I spend a lot more time than you thinking about it. Chris doesn't know, Riz doesn't know, Bischoff and Brown don't know, none of the B-Writers know, no other YouTubers know, nobody knows. The Bears probably don't even know. Like They have a much better idea of where their future lies than any of the other people I have just listed do. But if Fields closes out the year with 10 touchdowns and no interceptions, with 300 more rushing yards and no fumbles, they're not moving on. (laughs) There's there's no way they would move on from Justin Fields if he closes this season out playing very well. You can say eight TDs and four interceptions. If he maintains that two to one touchdown to interception ratio, most quarterbacks who are drafted never do that in a season. starting 16 games, with an even remotely significant number of touchdowns. Like 15-7, and seven, color me not impressed on a 16-17 to 17 game season. NFL GMs seem to have finally clued into the fact that the NFL Draft isn't some magical field growing premium quarterbacks that you can just pluck and win games with with no support and cast. Like even the best prospects can falter. And more than half of the quarterbacks taken in the first round will fail. Like, let's look at Justin Fields draft here as an example. He was the Drake May of that draft class and that he spent his entire shadow, like his entire college career in the shadow of somebody who had been named the number one picks three years before that draft happened. He was the fourth quarterback taken, though, in that draft. For some reason, then I'll never understand. Uh, he's clearly the second best guy who, from that draft. That was considered a historically good draft for quarterbacks, and it's produced one guy who is absolutely going to get a second contract. Like Trey Lance was traded for nothing a couple years after the 49ers traded three first-rounders for him. Zach Wilson is so bad that the Jets brought in Aaron Rodgers and then benched him for Tim Boyle this year after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Mac Jones has been benched repeatedly and he's on his way out the door in New England. Kyle Trask, the second rounder, who went to Tampa Bay, has never even threatened to be their starter for a moment. So all of the excitement this year about five or six potential starting quarterbacks in this draft, it's going to produce one, maybe two. And that will likely not be the first and second quarterback taken. Like, Trevor Lawrence has a passer rating of 94.4 this season compared to Justin Fields' 92.2. So for those of you who don't actually watch Bears games two or three times for a weekly segment that you do on them, ask yourself why do you think Trevor Lawrence is locked in as a starter forever while Fields is trash and indefinitely going to get cut when their production is basically exactly the same and Lawrence has a much better supporting cast Thorns also has an adjusted air yards per attempt lower than his yards per attempt just slightly this year. The difference is that one has been able, one has been asked to carry a terrible team and the other has been asked to carry a good team. Like when will people stop making the, he doesn't have a team that can do anything excuse for fields when it stops being valid. Like I hear people making comparisons between Justin Fields and CJ Stroud. But if you look at the Bears' offense versus the Texans' offense. The only player who would start for the Texans is DJ Moore. Well, okay, Braxton, Braxton Jones would probably move over to Ray Tackle and replace George Fant. We might argue that Cole Komet would start over Dalton Schultz, who just returned to practice for the Texans, but I think you're wrong. I don't think there's a question of which of those two players is a better player. I think Komet benefits from the Bears basically having nobody else to throw to like Bears fans are tired of tired of losing but fields is not the reason that they're losing like what if we talk about the defense and their 13 dropped interceptions in 2023 what about how offenses could just run over the Bears defense for eight weeks to start the season what if we talk about play designs where the center left guard and left tackle all pull to the right side and and give the unblocked defensive tackle the easiest tackle for loss he's ever going to see. Like every game shouldn't come down to a fourth quarter quarterback heroics, and no quarterback looks good week after week after week when all of their games come down to fourth quarter heroics. People from Chicago are doing the same thing to Justin Fields that so many did to Stafford when he threw away games at the end of them early in his career on terrible Lions teams. What Justin Fields did last time he faced the Lions was very nearly single-handedly drag a team that is currently 4-8 and eight to a win over a team that is currently 9-3. and three. The only thing the Lions have to stop this week is Justin Fields. And that's your answer on whether Chicago should replace him or not. Like, people will talk about Fields' seven fumbles, but Lawrence has eight this year. Josh Allen had 13 last year. Fields isn't a statistical fumble outlier for a quarterback that runs the ball. Uh, As a side note for Lions fans who like to complain that Goff is a habitual fumbler, and you are out there. He has five this year. He had seven all of last year. Say less, he's just normal. It could be so much worse. He's also one of the only quarterbacks whose touchdown percentage is the only quarterback in that group I just listed whose touchdown percentage is double his interception percentage in 2023. And that seems like a good spot to tra- transition over to why this game is super important for the Lions. The Lions offense has had some issues that started with the Bears game, particularly in the passing game. The Bears gave the Lions last few opponents a template for slowing this team down. The Lions need to show that they move beyond that template that was being able to give them fits. Additionally, the Lions are two and one in the division. Falling to two and two would be a step back from the five and one they had last season. And with two games against a really, a really good Vikings defense, it could end up being a big step back in the division if the Lions drop this game. The Lions are going to win the division. Like their magic number at this point is three. For both the Packers and the Vikings, and the Lions are going to win a couple, and each of those teams are going to lose a couple in the last five weeks. But the Lions dropping this game would bring into question whether the entire season was built on a few lucky breaks, beginning with Brian Branch running back a pick six on a perfectly placed Patrick Mahomes pass in week one. Everyone's on the Lions bandwagon right now because they keep winning the games that they should win. For the Lions' peace of mind, they need to take care of this one because it's one that they absolutely should win. Even with all of those injuries on defense that I talked about yesterday, like 4-6 expected week 1 starters are out on defense this week, the Lions are still the better team in this game. Like The prognosis for playoff success, though, is a lot better if the Lions hit that magic number themselves by the end of the year and don't have to rely on other teams losing a bunch of games to get in. The Bears are the only team left on the Lions schedule that are under 500 right now. I suspect the Vikings will be when the Lions play them in two weeks, but right now, the Vikings are a 500 team. This should be the easiest game by far left on the Lions schedule, and if they can't close this out, their status in that second tier of NFC teams might might be a myth. They're 9-3. They've walked the walk to this point in the year. Bill Parcells said famously that you are what your record says you are. And that is one of the universal truths of football. Every team gets lucky breaks and unlucky ones. The teams that played well enough to capitalize on the lucky ones and not be buried by the unlucky ones are the teams that end up with winning records. That's it for this week. If you see me on the postgame show, there will be no Monday daily DLP. That is how that works. I haven't heard yet from Chris whether, uh, Sandman can make this one. So, see you Monday or Tuesday. Let's bring it in here together. Let's go, go, baby. Lions on three. One, two, three. (laughs) Yes! You've had enough of that shit.